Jason and Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Monday. It's Sandos and the Sidekick where we're going to talk about all the Super Bowl props we got right. Somebody got more right than somebody else. We'll figure that out a little bit later on. I'm very disappointed in that. I need a recount, retally, but either way, we're just happy to have a couple extra wins in the win column. And uh, win column, tough to come by if you're talking UTSU men's and women's basketball. UTSU men's basketball, a heartbreaking defeat. And second time, I think, in six years, Chattanooga has not only hit the go-ahead shot, but hit it with one second to go with a deep three with threats that really weren't the top two or three three three-point threats that they have. Either way, Chattanooga hits the three. They go into the win. UTSU women's basketball. Um, drops two down in Greenville, South Carolina. So it's uh, other than Super Bowl props, not a lot to celebrate right now, except for ETSU men's basketball will be on the court Wednesday. ETSU women's basketball on the court Thursday, and then both playing the weekend. We'll have a weekend preview coming up a little bit later on. But starting with Chattanooga, and boy, you know how fired up I am, and I hate to give credit where credit's due, especially. When it well, comes that to was the working, though, for the longest time it for was. you with Chattanooga. You were giving now more be credit than was due, and then and all of a sudden it came to screeching halt. Now we got to back down, but honestly, I think you have to credit Chattanooga. I think if anybody saw the game, I think Chattanooga came in there and was ready for a fight and uh, took it to ETSU for majority. Bucks were able to erase a – basically, a, well, they did. They erased a 16-point deficit with about 7.50 to go in a game. Took the lead of 11 seconds on a tie Brewer three. And then A.J. Caldwell, honestly, I thought defensively, I've seen him play three or four times. I really don't think there was a whole lot ETSU could do more. Forced a guy to take a 28-foot shot. And he, you know, falling, you know, to his left for a right-handed shooter and still was able to hit the shot. So, tip of the cap uh, for Chattanooga, making the plays when they need to make. And certainly a, a tough loss for ETSU. And, especially seeing what's happened around the league. Now, all of a sudden, UNCG alone atop the conference. Of course, we record on Monday, so we'll know, uh, you know by the time people may listen to us on Tuesday, they may know the result. But as of right now, UNCG atop the conference with the only two losses in the league. We're going to do in the men's basketball stock report around the Southern Conference in segment three, a who you got. It's going to be Furman or UNCG tonight, and that will, if people do listen on a Tuesday, look either great for both of us or stupid for both of us. And judging how the league has gone, how we expected it to go, and how it has unfolded so far, uh, we're probably going to look stupid because it's one unpredictable thing after the next. Though, to be fair, we called the unpredictability of the league. It's just been, I think, unpredictable even within the unpredictability. It's like inception levels of unpredictability. So we can predict some surprises, but then different surprises happen, and just it's all kind of jumbled. Firstly, uh, can you tell me who Casey Jones is? Because I, ca- I thought Casey Jones was like an eight-time NBA champion back in like the 60s. Uh, I mean, that Casey Jones okay, was. He's the okay. former Southern Conference Player of the Year, Casey Jones. Because you talked about two times in six years, and you mentioned Casey Jones right after A.J. Caldwell had the shot. And you, I'm not you, familiar. That's right. You're not here. You're I was right. like, so, the reincarnation of Casey Jones. It, this is right. This is uh, Murray Bartos last year. This is actually when Brooke Savage was on Chattanooga staff. So this is the year up for Steve Forbes uh, takes over. And Jones played here at, the, at that time, late in the year, he had hit 1-3 all season. Overtime in Johnson City. Time is winding. As a matter of fact, Chattanooga, because it just happened uh, last week, was the anniversary of that shot. And Jim Horton, their SID, did what most SID should do, especially when a rivalry game's coming up, is repost that shot. <laughs> and the heartbreaking loss and then do an 0-2, one of the greatest wins uh, on the road ever. So – uh, 
as the shot clock was winding down, and uh, not even the shot clock, the game clock was winding down. Chattanooga was having all kinds of trouble. Bucks were uh, trapping to get out of his hands. Casey Jones gets it out to you. Now this is, you know, up until this year because of COVID, the teams in the second half would go in the other direction. And so Chattanooga would be, you know, going towards the S and the U as opposed to the last game where they were the E and the T on each issue at midcourt there. And so he's standing on the U with one made three all season, like one for six, something crazy. And he fires one to beat the horn, and it's just nothing but net from third. I mean, he shot it, and, I mean, I don't think anybody, even Chet, really didn't look like that was a shot they really wanted. Next thing you know, it goes in. There's one second left. Bucks have no timeouts. They throw the ball to midcourt. Ball's thrown. It doesn't even hit backboard, similar to A.J. Caldwell. Much better three-point shooter because Casey Jones went three for 11 that year. Well, his second one was a big one. Yeah. Let me tell you that. And the other thing I would say is and Caldwell was 0 for uh, four in the contest. But it was shooting 40% right, 40, from the arc. Yeah, 42%, I think, going into the game. And so he catches it and just kind of go, Jones was squared up. I'll give him that. He was squared up. Wasn't anything crazy. You know, the odd thing about Caldwell is he kind of lost the basketball Did Smith, uh, Malachi Smith, before he was able to kind of shovel it over to him. And Caldwell just kind of moving in motion caught him going. Jones just kind of found it at the top of the key with about four seconds left, and they're like, all right, somebody's got to shoot it. So then he just fires it and knocks it down and ends up um, with the win. And, and it, it, to me it was odd that one second was on the clock that day. There was one, so- one second on the clock Saturday, and both heaves from ETSU, which obviously you don't expect to go in at that point, um, you know, just didn't go down. But uh, it, it, what hurt me was the fact that uh, the overtime game, at least with Chad, it was back and forth, back and forth there. This was one where, like, you came all the way back, Right, to give me the hope to rip it right away. What did it remind you of? What game? Because to me, it reminded me a lot of the Western Carolina SoCon regular season championship game last year. You're down big a lot of the day. Now, Western Carolina, I think, still made a few more shots later in the game because Chattanooga just went through a horrific stretch on Saturday where they could not score at all. Western Carolina was still making shots, really, and just Patrick Good was making more shots last year in that SoCon regular season championship game where he had like 17 points in the last four minutes. He was just making everything that left his hand, where this reminded me of that, except at the very end, instead of that three from Travion McRae being, was it partially deflected by Tisdale? Was that what I remember? Like yes. out of his hand in the partial deflection. Yeah. I like the fourth game that Tisdale won with defense on a final possession. Uh, instead, this time, the miraculous goes against ETSU. Um, but we kind of broke it down on Friday, you know, the Buccaneers were going to have to play a solid game because Chattanooga, much like with Wofford, right? We talked about it with Wofford. They do not beat themselves. There are two big things that they did well coming into the game, taking care of the ball and making free throws. Now, they didn't even really get to the line a whole lot. I think they ended 7 of 11 from the line to the mocks. So they didn't get there a lot. And when they did get there, didn't shoot it at a particularly high clip, but only five turnovers. And Jason Shea talked about that post game. if you're listening to the General Shale postgame show when he talked with you after that loss that if you're only able to force five turnovers, and the Bucks took care of it well, too. Twelve is not bad. You know, your leaders in the NCAA are generally going to average, what, 10, 11 turnovers a game? So 12 is by no means an egregious amount. But when you only get five and then subsequently have only a couple of points off turnovers, that's going to make it difficult in terms of being opportunistic if you're struggling shooting the ball from the field, as ETSU was for a lot of the day. This is just an out-of-character performance for the Buccaneer offense. And because... Chattanooga did what they do. You know, they're big three guys, right? And I do think it's a big three there. I think you slide Kenich to four 
in Darius Banks. You talked about your surprise he made the, the three because he was one of 13 coming into the day for the season, but he's James Madison's all-time single-season three-point percentage leader. I mean, he set records there. He's a really good three-point shooter generally. Now, he hasn't shown it this year, but he can fill it up. He was a 1,000-point scorer there, and then you add him to Gene Baptiste and Malachi Smith, 50 from them of the 67 that Chattanooga scored. They did what they do, didn't turn it over, got the ball to their horses, and ultimately did just enough because it certainly seemed like to me, as you said, the comeback was on, the mocks were hanging on by a thread, an absolute thread, the skin of their teeth. Any little thing seemed like it was going to push the game the Buccaneers' direction, and it almost did. But A.J. Caldwell was a hero. He did with Travion McRae in that Western Carolina ETSU game and what many that are trying to stop a monsoon avalanche of momentum that's going against his team. Many can't hit that shot. It was a tough shot, difficult shot. Bucks came back, didn't give up. Have to appreciate that. But Caldwell, what can you say? It was an incredible effort. Uh, you know, I thought they did a great job of kind of taking, again, setting the tone early. They had won a lot of crazy games late. And so I just happened to talk um, with Jim Reynolds, 41 years, play-by-play man in Chattanooga, and he, he was kind of talking about ways to escape. And I told him the games that I had went back and watched, and he told me about a couple others. And he was like, you know, eventually it's going to catch up with you. And that stuck with me because I'm thinking, okay, you know, Chattanooga's won all these crazy games. It's starting to catch up with them. It's evening out, right? And then it didn't. And then that, that sort of – what they've been able to do, very undersized. They, they, you know, they play bigger. Um, I think the post players, what they do, they still are very conscious. Like, you know, I think on the air, Mercer, I was appalled that they would not throw the ball inside when they had a mismatch. Chattanooga, the exact second that um, I think Coach Shea told me, he goes, you know, if we get our midgets in there, we're going to throw it over the top <laughs> of them. And, and, I mean, that's exactly what happened when, the, when the, the guards, the you know, the Smith and the Sloans and Truth, when he was in it, when all these six-foot-one guys were in the game, Marcus Nyblack, when they had a mismatch on them down low, then they did a great job of, of recognizing that. Not, you know, good team basketball. Everyone sort of played to their average, right? You know, they, they really got four guys averaging about double figures. They got three, but they still got – the right three guys doing it. Bucks out of the 12 turnovers and a lot, but boy, they were several unforced that just careless turnovers, especially in the first half. They tightened it up in the second half. But in the first half, I think out of like seven turnovers, one was a legit steal. And Caldwell kind of picked the pocket, I think, of Bonnie Patterson. Other than that, the rest was really careless passing. I think we saw it a little bit in the second half. The one I remember is a uh, Monsanto was open on the left side of the floor, and it was kind of a lazy cross-court pass. I mean, it was a few of those, but that's I think, was a little frustrating. And then all of a sudden, because I kept sitting there thinking, what if we can hit a few, hit a couple shots, get kind of going, right? And then you started saying, okay, hit a shot, then all of a sudden momentum started to go mid-second half. And then all of a sudden, Chat ran it back to 16, but then the Bucks came immediately back and got some right. Because I kind of had a feeling – you know, and the, you know, and the fan. There weren't a lot of fans, but the fans were ready to get going. Finally, the fans got into it because the Bucks gave them something to get into it. But I thought Chattanooga a heck of a, a road win, and um, you know they've been tight in all these other games. And we'll see if this propels Chattanooga at all. I mean, they break a ten-game schneid. It's first win for Lamont Paris for CTSU. There's a lot of things going that certainly you'd have to think helps their confidence. It's a topsy-turvy conference, uh, just like we said it would be. Uh, Chattanooga going on the road, winning here, that doesn't happen. Right, and you look at what they've been able to accomplish, you know, in this 
2021 season. I mean, it's been rather impressive on the whole, right? And we knew this was going to be a tight game because how many times has the team that's led at half uh, gone on and well, won? Or how many times has the team that uh, – how many times has Chattanooga in their 11 wins trailed at the, in the second half, whatever the stat was? It was like 11 out of 11 times. And ETSU's done that 8 of 11 times. And it's now 12 of 12. Now it's 12 of 12. So, I mean – incredible to see and all of the games that they won have been separated by 10 or less and ETSU you know a number of games have come down to the wire as well not quite as many as Chattanooga but um, I was a little confused and maybe you've answered the question already but you see the paint points and it's 38 to 18 in favor of Chattanooga and to me you look at them coming in and it was rebounding blocks and true post they don't have any of that they don't have a true post player they don't have a guy down low that is going to be that ever-present, you know, in-the-paint, dominant, bully-you type guy. They get out-rebounded consistently. They're one of the worst teams in terms of blocks in the country, so that stout defensive inside presence isn't there. Their leading rebounder is six foot four. Their six foot nine guy that plays a lot is a stretch four in Stefan Kenich. Um, Silas Adeke, I think, needed some more touches. You know, are the Bucks settling for bad shots? Or are they just not working the ball around and getting the ball inside in terms of their guards driving? Are they not throwing the ball down low to guys like Adeke enough? Because to me, 30-18 to 18 in the paint was the most surprising stat of the entire day to me because you go down the stretch, and you've been here much longer than I have, but even in my time having been here, when things start to roll for ETSU men's basketball, you almost know shots are going in when they're coming back. And for a good three- or four-minute stretch, there was no doubt in my mind. Just like, again, the Western Carolina game. And by the way, if Ty Brewer makes that final heave, it's 68-67, just like ETSU beat Western Carolina 68-67. Again, very similar games. But it seemed like every time the ball was going to leave their hands, it was going in because that's what happens for ETSU men's basketball. And then, of course, the final stab right to the heart is what we're not used to. But we never would have been in that situation had the Bucks, I think, worked it down low more and gotten closer to that team that they can be in the post. Silas decade took three shots. He made all three of them. He had nine points. I think that there's something to be said for getting him the ball more and maximizing those touches, especially when you're struggling shooting the ball because this team is wing heavy, right? They've got a lot of scorers, but who has been the most consistent when given the opportunity I mean, Damari Monsanto had five bad games to open the year. Ladarius Brewer now has three bad games in a row. Silas Adeke is still shooting like 60% from the floor, and it seems like when they work him in at the beginning of halves, and then, yes, they go away from him, but at the beginning of halves, he seems to get them going. If he would have touched the ball more, I think this could have been a different game because ETSU may not have been in such a horrific position as they were down 16. 10 of 26 from two in that game, but there were a lot of, like, weird runners that, that I don't think is particularly a shot that the team... It's one thing to go in there and sort of teardrop a floater here and there. There was some awkward put-your-head-down, try to muscle your way in the middle of the paint and throw up. I don't know if it was trying to draw a foul. I don't know if they thought that was a good move. I mean, clearly, you look at the numbers, and out of the 10 of 26, if you take a decade who was 3 of 3, who I know were all... Taken inside. 7 to 23. 7 23 is not good. Not good. Not good. I mean, from three, talking, that's not good. But from two, it's uh, got off. Under 30%, right? Yeah. So, I mean, oof. I mean, from two. So, I think certainly that that is an area where they struggle. They struggle with Mercer, too. They just got away with it. They, 
You know, I think there was a, a stat at one point was like four of 12 on layups or something that, that I had at, at that point. I, it's in my notes somewhere. I can probably look it up, um, not for this show, but down the road. But it is a little disconcerting, I think, that they've been so insufficient um, from two. And it's just not putting up, you know, numbers where you expect to put up. I thought the rebounding numbers eventually worked themselves out, but where each issue had been really good on the glass, it gave up a lot of bad options of rebounds. had been really bad on the glass. And, and it ended up working out where each issue had more second-chance points, but you were able in the first half to allow chat to get a lot more opportunities, you know, with the second-chance uh, second chance points. And if nothing else, it was just, you know, extra chances to put up a shot at one time. Chattanooga had 10 more shots in the first half than ETSU and like halfway through the first half and it's like ETSU just not doing a good job of you know doing what they're supposed to be doing I mean they ended the first half taking nine more shots than ETSU and so it was seven to three on the second chance and I ended up 12-8 so Bucks only gave up one more second chance point but again that had to be a challenge at halftime because to me you know if you don't shoot well you can still rebound right and then they turn the ball over with not a whole lot of pressure I mean, Baptiste a couple of times kind of ran into a to a steal, um, just kind of like, hey, I think he may throw it over here. But, you know, in reality, it wasn't like they were in the passing lane. They weren't, you know, hands all over the place like Wofford, knocking the ball around. And ETSU, I thought, again, was able to kind of swat at the basketball, a few guys driving, and then went away from it. But the turnovers uh, and points off turnovers, second-chance points in the first half, you know, Bucks corrected some in the second half. The only thing they really didn't overcome was points in the paint, but they were able to do it. But I still think all of that kind of led to ETSU put themselves in that position to get beat by less. I just shot. don't understand that. You know, everything pointed to a Bucks domination on the interior, and it just didn't happen. And I think I'd agree with you with your summation that Chattanooga was the better team that day. ETSU almost pulled the miraculous, and somehow worked their way back and made every shot and. Probably, honestly, nine out of ten times in that situation, if not more than that, because that was an insane shot from Caldwell. They, they win the game with it unfolding how they did. But that being said, how many times do they make that many shots down the stretch after being so cold the entire rest of the day? Um, difficult to say. It, it was a fun game. It was um, incredible to see ETSU with that fight. And it's good to know that it is in them and they don't give up till that final buzzer. It seems like, unfortunately, right now, the only thing that's consistent for the Buccaneers is obviously Damari Monsanto, though in that first half, I think, you know, you alluded to it a couple times with the runners. Like, he, he almost seemed like he forced some odd shots a little bit early and still ends up with 22 points on 16 shots, which, you know, you're completely happy with. Uh, even though he shoots, you know, only, what, 39, 40% from the field, he'll still take that. I mean, 22 points, he's on an incredible run. But then David Sloan off the bench. Um, but I think he had a couple of those turnovers that you're talking about. I remember one in particular, I think it was in the second half, as the pace was kind of quickening and ETSU was trying to come back, where it was in the backcourt, and he may have thrown it away. I can't remember exactly what play that was, but you definitely um, were not happy on the call with that uh, particular decision. Uh, it wasn't just David Slough. <laughs> <laughs> he, he ended up having four turnovers of the box 12. Um, and Ladarius Brewer, you know, three of ten, two of five from outside the arc, didn't go to the line. That's one thing that ETSU turned the page to the Citadel Wednesday. That's what they need to get back to. You remember the game here at Freedom Hall. They were, what, 26-30? And since they've made, in the three games after that one, 22 combined free throws? You, know, you have to get inside. You have to embrace the contact. You have to get guys in foul trouble. Put yourself in advantageous situations. And ETSU just hasn't done that. You saw what 
at their best offensively because I do think, and statistically they were at their best that day against the Citadel. When they are hitting on all cylinders, they're doing a little bit of everything. They're shooting it from outside. They're going to the hole. They're getting the other team's best players in bad situations where they have to foul, and then you just are all to the better, right? 112 points against the Citadel. But you're not going to be able to put up those kind of numbers, and you don't necessarily need to every game, right? No one's living in a fantasy world where that's going to be the total for ETSU every time. But when you're doing what they did that day, when you had 18 made free throws in the first half, which was your most the entire year, then you're helping yourself on a number of different fronts. And to see them go away from that, and Chattanooga was a perfect example because he didn't have a lot of points in the paint, and you were outgunned down there by a team that typically doesn't have personnel in that area of the floor, you can see the results. So I really think that that is the key for them once they have to get back to that kind of play, be more physical, force the issue, be the aggressor, because at times this year they haven't been that. I'm glad you brought up. Uh, the two guys you did, Monsanto, now five straight 20-point games. That uh, tied the last guy to have five straight 20-point games was Gelon Gwynn, again in uh, Coach Forbes and Shea's first season on campus. I'm glad you brought up the eight assists because I thought Sloan did a great job. Even his last assist was a great job of recognizing he had a fairly what looked like a clean look that collapsed on him from the side. He recognized that, saw the guy got him in the right spot. I thought, again, there was a couple of shots that he could have double digits assist if guys would just finish on passes that Sloan made. And the last four games, Monsanto averaging uh, 22 points per contest. He's still shooting 58% from the floor, 56% from three. Solid numbers. But Darius Brewer, last three, he's averaging eight points per game, shooting 31% from the floor, 31% from three. The other thing, he's just got seven rebounds in those three games. He was averaging f- about five boards a game. His average now dropped, I think, 4.2. And to me, that's a little uh, disconcerting because he was able to go get four or five extra boards that certainly play into a key and offensive boards at that sometimes. And so I think, you know, what whatever has gotten this funk, if they could figure out how to get him going. I don't like to challenge players' effort, and I won't hear with Ladarius, but coaches often say that rebounding is effort. So the fact that you've pulled out that statistic is very interesting about him. They're just not the same team without Ladarius, you know, not necessarily scoring, you know, 20-plus because he has rarely done that for ETSU. But the 14 to 18 points, I mean, those are huge. And he was doing it a lot at the beginning of games. He was getting the Bucks off to good starts, and they really could have used it because I think it was 17 of the first 22 went the way of the mocks. And so not only are you not getting the production, you know, throughout the game, but you're not setting the tone. And who's that tone setter? Because you've got a decade, it seems like every first possession of every game, but then you go away from him. Well, a decade was three for three, and again, not going to be a guy that scores 20, isn't going to put up the type of numbers Ladarius Brewer, but can he be afforded, you know, three, four more shots a game? See what you do with those. Can then get him to eight to 12 points, right? This can be patched together while Ladarius figures it out, but you have to be able to empower your guys and have them in the positions and get them the ball when they are in those positions. And I just don't see how Silas Hideke was going to get just three shots that day against an undersized Chattanooga team. They played seven guys. They played seven guys, and the only guy I think that is above 6'7 is Kenish of those different guys. And everyone else that's about 6'6", 6'7", they're guards. They're guard bodies where Hideke could just go down and absolutely out-muscle them. Um, some good athletes, no doubt, but – Malachi Smith is 6'4". You know? <laughs> like, you're you're going to be able to put him up against Silas Deke. Like Darius Banks, he, he's a guard. You know, So 
interesting to see what the Bucks will do going forward looking at this contest. It's not the end of the world by any means. It's a shock to a lot of ETSU fans to lose to Chattanooga at any point. But in all reality here, you lost by two on a miracle desperation shot with one second left that 90% of the time is not going in despite that it's out of the hand of a good shooter. The Citadel is not easy to beat at home. They're 9-3. and three. But they haven't been the same team lately, and you talked to me about this earlier. And so I dug for a few numbers. Uh, firstly, they had lost 7-8 of eight before beating Western Carolina. Five of their last seven single-digit threes after double digits each of the first ten. And their two league losses at home by 19, or I should say they've lost three, but uh, the two against teams that are, um, I'd say, similar talent levels to ETSU. Uh, UNCG and Mercer. I still do think Mercer is an extremely talented team despite the results, but you lost by 19 and 20. So, yes, good home record, but when you have a good team come into your house, it hasn't gone well for the Citadel. And judging by the first game between these two teams and judging by those results against Mercer and UNCG, this is a perfect bounce-back opportunity, especially for the offense, especially for Ladarius Brewer to get back on track. That, that, that was my only point. A great situation to get the offense going. Now, the Citadel's had its troubles offensively, and um, I don't know if that will slow the pace down some because teams won't get sort of in that pace. ETSU did a good job kind of managing that um, frantic sort of pace when it gets going, but when Citadel doesn't hit shots, everything kind of slow down. But I think certainly this could be a perfect situation for the Bucks to, you know, if you would have beat Chattanooga, I would have given you this is, you know, maybe a trap game because you've had trouble down there before, the way they play. They've gone a couple games where they're struggling to shoot. Maybe all of a sudden they get it going again. It'd be a, a horrific time for them to figure it out while you're trying to, you know, prepare mentally. I think most fans for Wofford, not Citadel. But now I'm thinking this is a great opportunity because you're going to take Citadel for what it is. A tough game on the road. If you could just focus in on being you and nothing else, then you should be able to win that game and then turn your attention to Wofford before, again, you do another one of those stretches, right? You play Wofford at home. Then you go on the road Monday at Chattanooga, run it back quickly. Then you got what a home game against Mercer, and so and then I think another road game at Sanford or something. So uh, it's going to be a lot of games quick. Certainly got to take advantage of um, a couple days getting their legs back underneath them before they play Citadel. But it should be a perfect game. And I know the other thing is I think you, if you're ETSU, I'm, I'm going to talk to Coach Shea about this on our coaches show, uh, which is you know Monday night six to seven. But I'm going to ask him about, you know, trying to wipe off the last game, too, because it's certainly not just Chattanooga, but the last time against Citadel, because you certainly do not want to sit there and think, well, we're going to score 112, right? I think it could be a good offensive day. I think they could score 80 or more, and to me, I'm fine with that. If you keep Citadel to 60, you score 80. To me, just to get his win is the 112-80 or whatever that thing was last time. So uh, looking forward to seeing them getting back, I think, Particularly, I'll pay attention to uh, two guys, one Damari Monsanto, see if he can get a sixth 20-point game. I think it certainly uh, would be a nice feather in his cap. But Ladarius Brewer, I think the bigger story, can they get him going? Because this will be one of the first times that somebody doesn't guard him 94 feet and try to kind of get in his hip pocket as soon as he gets off the bench. Citadel hasn't done that. Now, maybe they watch film and they'll try to do it. It'll be interesting to see. But uh, I think if they give him a little bit of freedom of movement, see if Ladarius Brewer can't get going and personally I kind of hope he goes for over 20 in this contest I'm in the middle of looking when the last time a buck scored 20 or more in six straight games is 
and I'm back to 2008-09. Do you have the number? No, off the top of my head, no. I don't either. I did all the research I could to get to five quickly. Yeah, and Kevin Tiggs ended his career with five in a row. So I'm back to 0809, and Tiggs had five in a row in 0809. So I'm going to have to keep looking, but uh, he's on the verge of some obviously extremely impressive things, already doing incredible things, that freshman. I mean, he is you know, top five in the country amongst freshmen during league playing in a number of different categories, as we talked about um, on Friday. So uh, going to be an interesting game, no question. Got to be a victory, right? Got to be a bounce-back victory. Uh, however you get it done, the Citadel is not an easy place to play. We've seen games in the past go down to the wire there with very good ETSU teams. Um, I seem to remember, was it a couple of years back where there was a three at the buzzer to win for the Citadel, or is that BMI? Which am I thinking of? I thought it was a game against the Citadel where there was one at their gym, open three left wing, missed at the buzzer, and Bucks got away with their lives. You're right, right. They they uh, they missed a yes, you're right. They missed a layup that ETSU that would have given Citadel a one point lead. ETSU got the rebound, got fouled, and then hit uh, a couple of free throws. I think put ETSU up two, and Citadel had about a clean wide open Drive look as you dish. would have. Yeah. Uh, from the left side, and the ball barely drew iron. That is correct. That is, uh, or it may have tied the game. E- either way, it was I a think two it was for the win. And it, it was one of those where, and, and maybe you touched one by one, but it was Citadel had a chance to either um, tie or take the lead, and then they missed, and ETSU was able to go. It, it was an interesting finish to the game, and one that certainly uh, I think the Bucks were happy to escape with. And that's actually, I think. This, it might have been the same year where Citadel actually beat ETSU at home in the two tough games um, that season. And then I think after that, ETSU kind of changed how they play against the Citadel where they protect more against the three and allow the two more, which they don't do against anybody else. Demario Monsanto could tie Tim Smith. Oh, Timmy. 2005-06, he actually went eight in a row, 20-plus. He went... 37, 25, 29, 26, 24, 21, 23, 21, and a triple-double, 21, 10, and 10 in that last game. <laughs> so the, the other interesting <laughs> part insane. is if he continues to score the way he is and Ladarius continues to struggle, if Monsanto would take over the scoring lead, I believe it would be the first freshman to lead the team in scoring since Tim Smith. I, I will say this, too. I think it's also – um, he's averaging right now the most points as a freshman since Tim Smith, and he's got a little work to do if he's able to take over the scoring lead at some point. Then he'd have to be uh, we'd have to go back to Greg Dennis to see what his numbers are. And then if you, it's kind of hard because Tom Chilton, you know, wasn't allowed to play as a freshman. He played sophomore, but if you want to look at his first numbers actually on the floor for the Buccaneers, and, and, and I know different time back then, but uh, he averaged twenty some points for the whole season uh, as a sophomore, which would have been his first year at varsity. So you're putting him in the name with Tim Smith, right, all-time leading scorer. You're putting him with Greg Dennis, the second all-time leading scorer, and Tom Chilton, who's the all-time per-game leading scorer. Pretty good clout. That was in a stretch where Smith was 17 of 19 in 20-point games. Did it 17 times in 19 games. That's absurd. What was the record that year? Uh, 2005-06. That was the – was that the – 10 win year, or was that the... Uh, Stop, really? Yeah, the inju- there was horrific injuries that year. 15 and 13, 12 and 8 in the league. That was the first year of the A-Sun. Was that the, the, the Gardner-Webb tip-in? 
Uh, Gardner Webb, 6463. Oh, <laughs> okay, we oh, got to move on. Okay. <laughs> yeah. oh. I'm, see, I've completely oh. destroyed your world. Sorry. All right, let's talk uh, something else. Women's basketball. Okay. Just, um, uh, same second. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Santos and his sidekick back with you. 30 seconds is not long enough to recover. You've recovered. Wow. Uh, it's, it's all right. All right. It's not like you have a little bit more energy at least. All right, let's talk about Go over that 64, 63. I don't, I don't. Okay, okay. Well, you know what I'd like to talk about is uh, things that don't have because we're talking about a lot of scoring, a lot of things haven't happened in a long time. What about the 25 points, 14 rebounds of Jakaya Davis in the first meeting with Furman? Okay, so I get creative with stats, right, to try and cover up the fact that I don't actually do that much work on finding stats. So when I say Jakaya Davis – with 25 and 14, is the first buck in over a decade to put up those numbers in the same game. Not just freshmen, by the way. This is a freshman, Bearden High School, Knoxville. 25 points, 14 rebounds Friday night, unfortunately, and lost. But 25 and 14 in at least a decade, over a decade, I think I said in the tweet, since anybody else has done that. I still do not know when the last time that happened was. I just went back as far as the numbers on the computer told me. I don't have any other game-by games before 2008-09. So it could be the first time in forever. I mean, the 53 years of the program. But as you can see, I probably am not going to comb through, and this is just me outing myself as a complete fraud, I'm not going to comb through the actual paper stats in our record room right behind our studio. Garbage. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to do it. Uh, I think it, it gets the point across by saying over a decade. Um, how many games have the Bucks played in that time? What, like 30 games a year roughly You know, times 12 is like 360 games. So basically a game – per day in the year. You could play year-round every day, and nobody would have done that. No one has done it in 12 seasons. Uh, And she's been better and better. It is strange that you go back and you see some of the minutes that she was not logging towards the beginning of the conference season and those first couple of weekends of the conference year. Um, I don't see any possible way how you take her off the courts at all, unless it's for foul trouble, which unfortunately, as we can smoothly slide into Sunday, as unfortunately the Bucks' offense did not with only 46 points. Um, she did get in foul trouble on Sunday. Brittany Zell had no choice but to take her out with two fouls pretty early on in that second quarter, I believe it was, late first, early second. And Selena Taborn was a reason for that. And she is just difficult to stop. And you and me have talked about her firm and big, six foot three, forever it seems like since we've been doing the podcast because she – led the Southern Conference in field goal percentage early on in her career, and she was 60% or better each of her first three years, and now she's struggling. 50%, which is still good, right? Struggling in comparison to what she's done in the past, but you saw what she could do on Sunday, what makes her such a dangerous force, why Jackie Carson keeps trotting her out there, despite the fact that she's averaging about half as many points per game as she did her freshman year. Seven of seven from the field, 14 points, and in addition got the Bucks' best score, at least if you're looking at the game prior, off the court with those two fouls. Big, big performance for her on a number of different fronts. And, you know, we kind of talked about the confusion on why she's not playing right. I mean, that was, if you listen to the podcast at all, you would have heard us kind of 
jockeying or complaining or whatever you want to say to try to get her more playing time, right? Like, like I don't understand how or why. And then after watching some, I'm thinking, why did why am I bringing it up? Maybe Jackie's listening to us, and maybe we don't need to tell her what to do because certainly that is one player that I thought by now, as I said then, would be a player of the year type candidate that would be tough to stop. And at times she's looked that way. And unfortunately for ETSU, did that night. And it's just – She's so good when she gets the ball at a certain point on the block. I think you can almost, unless you just hack, hack her to death, I think it's 100%. I feel like the ball is going to go in. And the difficult part was, and this was jarring for me, you know, the 300 miles away from the court that I was at Timmins Arena, you could see even from my vantage point when she caught it, and this is so, so tough to deal with if you're the opponent because she – is got those wide shoulders, you know, and she takes up a lot of space down low in the paint. And if the ball is delivered where it needs to be, right, if the entry pass is good, and she's got a good range for being as big as she is, she's got a good range of being able to catch those passes. She can go down low to get it around your knees. She can, you know, move left, move right. And then, you know, if you put it right where it needs to be up by her head, she can catch, and she's got any defender, it seems like, in the Southern Conference. I mean, Ja'Kia Davis is six foot three herself, right, but she doesn't have the width that Selena Taborn does. She doesn't have the strength as a freshman that Selena Taborn does. So she's pinned on one of her shoulders. If that ball is going to the other shoulder, then you're in a really bad situation. And Taborn does a good job of running right to the spot she wants to be. And you can't stop her from getting there, right? You can only stop her once she's there from getting the ball. You have to ball deny. And ETSU did a good job of that on Friday. But on Sunday, it was, you know, she caught it within two, three feet of the basket. And you could see every time she lowered her shoulder after a catch, she'd one dribble, lower shoulder, and players were flying backwards. And it's not a rip on ETSU's players. It's anybody. It doesn't matter. You or me could have been down there or people that are your or my size plus four or five inches. And you lower that shoulder right into the chest, and it was kind of like the uh, Charlie Murphy, uh, Dave Chappelle, um, the Rick James skit where he kicks him in the chest and he flies back like ten feet. That's kind of what it felt like. I could feel it in my own chest. Um, she is so strong, and uh, she definitely dominated um, with the efficient touches that she got on Sunday, which was uh, disheartening for the Bucks because offensively things weren't going their way, but if she shoots, you know, 4 of 7, 5 of 7 from the floor instead of 7 of 7, more around her usual percentage, you're right in that game. And give the Bucks credit on both days, right? Obviously, we know that there are two losses. Yes, ETSU is 1 and 6. They're 3 and 11 overall. But they continue to fight through the fourth quarter, all the way down to the wire, got within 10 after being down 21 on Friday, uh, got within um, eight late after it looked like the game had pretty much been decided and the Bucks' offense was stagnating. They got within eight and had a three to make it five with um, under a minute to go. And uh, just a little more urgency, I think, was needed down the stretch because you could hear me wandering aloud on the broadcast that ETSU wasn't fouling, wasn't pressuring the ball that much with 90 seconds to go, two minutes to go right around there. So... Uh, frustrating to see another couple of defeats, but um, it was certainly a shorthanded team as well. Hopefully the Bucks getting some of the players that they were missing, Kai Upton, Maya Adams, uh, back uh, after those two came off COVID. Uh, they did get Carly Hooks back on Sunday, so that was nice to see. And can we talk about uh, Kelly Post getting the start? Oh, please, yes. Oh, it's, uh, sitting there, and then I could feel the energy from you when the three goes down. I think it was another steal. There was a steal and a quick shot right after that, give or take, and finished with seven points and, you know, Four rebounds, three assists, four steals. You know, the seven points, 35 minutes of action by far, the most playing time she's got. And at full strength, you know, getting some of these minutes, will that be able to help and get confidence? And, again, 
get back to the pressure of what I think, you know, I thought they were in a nice little groove of this is who we're going to be. Like the identity of the pre- at the sort of the fourth quarter, what that UNCG first game, all of the UNCG next game, kind of looked like, okay, this is how the team's going to take shape. This is going to be the identity we're going to grow with. Thought that was going to be, and then, of course, you get hit with this. There's not a lot of people, and then they're combinations. That's the, that's the one thing about injuries I think people don't get, and, and then you throw in COVID and, and different people being shut down. The different combinations that, you know, aren't necessarily always working together that in a day or two you're trying to build continuity, right? I mean, I think that's just – I don't think people – people play sports, I think, get it. I think sometimes – if you haven't played, I'm not knocking any fan that hasn't played, but I think sometimes it's hard to comprehend that. It's like, well, you know, they're scholarship people or, you know, like Kansas City Chiefs. They're professional football players. They're on the offensive line. I mean, you get paid many dollars. You don't know how to do it. I still think there's continuity there that you kind of have to do and trust and everything else. So I look forward to the next couple games of Mercer for the simple reason if they get some more folks back, they got some more people going, and seeing how she can intermingle a few of the players. And, you know, can you get Ja'Kai Davis – to, and, again, you could tell, okay, Ja'Kai Davis had the monster first game. So what did Furman do, right? They tried to take, do everything they can to get the ball out of her hand, try to force the issue, doing something else. And if it wasn't for Ja'Kai, the, the, the game could have been disgusting because, you know, Lee Stafford, rough day, Jasmine Sanders, rough day, unless you're talking about the 70-foot shot, and apparently she's money from there. But other than that, you know, they combined for like two of 22 or something. So I think certainly um, – Everybody paid a lot of attention to Jakiah. Jasmine had a better day. Still not great, but she had a better day. You know, I think getting Dowdell back in the mix certainly helped. She was the only player in double figures. So I think when you get more, you know, if you get Upton back, you get everybody kind of healthy, you get them practicing for a whole week, that's another thing, right? Just had one or two days of practice before they go down there shorthanded to play some games. So um, get Brooks Jim. They get Mercer, a team they beat last year. Will Shania Jackson go just ridiculous? Against Mercer, I hope so. Hope Shania's back and, and can give some of the the numbers that she did last time. But I was excited, you know. Anytime somebody that has taken their time, bided their time, given opportunity to make the most of the opportunity. And I think if you look at that stat line before the game, and, and you tell me Kelly Postco played 35 minutes, you know, I'm going, oof, I don't know if that's going to be good. And then you give me the stat line afterwards, I'm going, good for her, good for her. Seven points, four rebounds, three assists, four steals. I, I mean. From someone that is not a tremendously uh, physically gifted for the Division One level, or um, I'd say exceptionally offensive talented player, like offense has just not generally been her thing. She is a warrior. She will battle it out. She will get to the loose balls. She will do all the intangibles that you need. You need a player like Kelly Post. She's not often going to play 35 minutes, right? Those players don't usually get those kind of minutes. They're the spark plug off the bench. Or they're like Mallory sure was for ETSU women's basketball for quite some time. They're, they're going to give you, you know, 18 to 22 minutes, and every once in a while they'll throw up double figures. But more so, they're going to be on the floor diving after loose balls and getting in the opponent's head because they're relentless. And that's what Kelly Post did. But there's going to be a story that comes out on ETSUbucks.com over the next couple of weeks uh, that I wrote about Kelly and her journey, and it'll make that day that much more special, I think, for. Um, people and understanding Kelly's journey because it looked like it was going to be tons of Division One starts, right? And she was a upper echelon Division One talent at one point with an offer from North Carolina. And she was ready to accept that, couldn't get into school there because it is a, a very solid institution. Um, 
and you go to Campbell and you get injured and there's a new coach and things don't work out there and then all of a sudden you're at Division Two, and you're not necessarily putting up amazing numbers there but you found a little bit of a home you're part-time starter and you're doing that thing that you do the the full game right you're taking steals you're scoring points you're grabbing rebounds you're putting your teammates in good spots and distributing and now you come back to the division one level a goal that you've always had and wanting to get into the starting lineup and really find a home and she's found that here at ETSU and so for her first division one start a really landmark moment for her and the stat line was exceptional I mean you could absolutely argue that yesterday she was ETSU's best player on the floor um, Micaiah Dowdell had another nice day, 11 points, 8 rebounds after her 6 of 8 from the floor and 14 points on Friday. Um, but I was very happy uh, for Kelly. And she's what ETSU needs right now, right? If you can consistently get that kind of effort on the floor from a Kelly post, and I'm not saying it has to be 7-4, 4-3, but the type of effort, right, and have that be a foundation that you build around at that point guard position. Now, like you said, is she going to be in the starting lineup every game? Probably not because Kaya Upton is going to come back and she is another um, point guard that the Bucks rely on heavily. She is cleared after COVID protocol. It sounds like, should all her tests come back normal, she will be available on Thursday. Amaya Adams is someone else that can run the point a little bit. She uh, is more of like a guard slash forward combo wing player, but she's also been cleared to come back from COVID. Again, pending tests and medical examinations after that ETSU does with all of their athletes. Um, so I don't know if Kelly Post is going to have another day like that, but the effort and getting in positions to be able to make a difference as Kelly did, uh, it was really cool because right now you look at consistency and there hasn't been a lot, right? Sky Davis has the 25 and 14 on Friday, then comes out two for eight for four points on Sunday. Um, of course, no Kaya, no Amaya. Elise Stafford, uh, I think, was one for 14 on Friday. Jasmine Sanders made the 70-foot heave but was 0 for 9 outside of that. Um, and even if you come out and put up a big game on Sunday and neither of them did, uh, you're still saying, okay, one day you're up, one day you're down. You know, effort is something that's never going to be fleeting. And that's what Coach Zell said after the game, too. She talked about effort and how the Bucks have consistently, you know, tried their best and gone out there and uh, not given up. And it's certainly encouraging, uh, and they're going to need that because Mercer is second in the league right now, and Sanford the week after that on the road is the number one team in the league and looking, quite honestly to me, um, like easily the best squad in the conference, uh, much to my preseason polls demise because I expected them to be fourth or fifth after losing Sarah Myers last year. Speaking of polls and uh, not knowing anything about anything, not just women's basketball, but the men's basketball and stock report, coming up after this timeout, Santa sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Enjoy the new year with more games, more chances to win, and even more fun from the Tennessee Lottery. And you can play any way you like. Play quick and win big with instant games. Or try drawing-style games that pack a big money bunch. So don't drop the ball. Make a resolution to put a little more cash and a whole lot of fun in your pocket today with the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. sound effects or just the right amount no i mean for you it's great i, I mean I, i'm not going to take it away from you 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 enjoy that you're doing little dances and 
Almost like you got uh, two pistol shooters over here shooting and going, lasers and everything. It's great. It's unbelievable. Shooter. Only Shooter three games Saturday in the Southern Conference men's basketball scene. The Citadel beats Western Carolina, Chattanooga over the Bucks, and Wofford on the road at Furman gets the job done. And I'm going to give you the chance to rip me here in a second. But first I want to talk about the Catamounts. Start at the bottom and move our way up. They're averaging just 10 assists per game in their last five after having less than 10 in a game just once before this streak. Is it clear to you at this point that Western is done looking at the guy next to them and trying to do it for each other and that it's just individual basketball out there for the Catamounts? Yes. Yes. I don't think No one else is neither one. No, absolutely. They, they gave up a long time ago. Okay, so I said VMI's Wednesday win over Wofford in Spartanburg was more about Wofford plummeting and not VMI, the much-improved team that many think they are, including yourself. But 48 second-half points from the Terriers quiets me for now. Sam Godwin returned last week after missing a week of play, 9 of 10 for 24 points in the two games combined. Yes, VMI in overtime over Wofford, but then Wofford bounces back. So are you ready to shred me limb from limb because I am completely out of my mind that VMI is not the team that you think they are and that Wofford is going to fall apart off that one win? Are you ready? I think the I think it's about matchups, and I think okay. you 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 never I think you fall into the uh, Kevin Brown sometimes of one or two games means they're trash as opposed to um, where clearly I'm not emotional, right? I'm the most level-headed guy you know. Oh, okay. and, Just and, ask. If I got if I got a little far, yeah. <laughs> so, but I think that VMI. I think the matchups. If you look at who VMI has been competitive with, has been Furman been um, Wofford and who they've struggled with a little more athleticism, different style of game, which is UNCG and the one game so far with ETSU and not that they weren't competitive, but if you just look at the difference in the scores and where it is, then to me I think VMI is depending on the matchup and I was wrong on thinking okay, well they're, they're playing a certain way, they're going to shock UNCG, but after seeing UNCG do what really ETSU did late in the game, which is just use the athleticism around the rest of the guys, then now I'm sort of on board with, I think it's about the matchups for them. And there's going to be really good matchups for VMI, and some of those just happen to be right now the private schools in Wofford and Furman. I think they're not as good a matchup. Um, for ETSU, I don't think it was a matchup for Sanford. Uh, I think is who you're talking about, not Chattanooga, because they beat Chattanooga, but they lost to Sanford in that opening game. Of did the I year. say Chat? I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, Eighty-four seventy-one to Sanford. It's got to be matchups because none of this makes sense. I, I think VMI is a classic. If it's a, if the matchup's right for them, they're going to be successful. The matchup isn't right for them, then they're not going to be successful. And so I just feel like it's a matchup situation. Um, for VMI and when they play games where they're going to beat people where they don't. Now, they generally play UNCG tougher at home than they do on the road, but I still think the athleticism of certain teams still give them fits. I'm still going to pump the brakes on them because they've got four more road games. I mean, I didn't have them in the top four. I mean, it's, it's They've got UNCG, TSU, and Furman left. Uh and they still have to go to the Citadel. And I know, again, that I just talked about how the Citadel, when any decent team comes into their building, they're not going to be able to beat them. But I think that's going to be a good matchup in Charleston. Um, I think it has to be matchups, though, because throwing a blanket. And I, I, to be fair, I'm looking at history with a lot of the stuff that I say. It's not just 
blow with the wind off a few games like you and Kevin Brown on VMI. You don't win road games in your five-plus years there if you're Dan Earl. It's going to be tough to be above 500. Now, they win the games that they have recently on the road at Wofford, came close against Mercer. Um, well, I guess that's their only road one is that at, at Wofford, right? So they broke through at Wofford in terms of league play. Everything else has been at home. I still think they're going to be um, a 6-7 win team. I don't think they're going to win more than two games down the stretch. You've got UNCG at home at Furman, home DTSU. Those are three losses. At the Citadel might be a loss. At Chattanooga might be a loss. Um, Western Carolina on the road, probably your only surefire win, but the Citadel just went to Western Carolina and lost. So uh, Dan Earl certainly done a good job, no question about it. That was an eye-popping result at Wofford, and credit to them because I did not see that coming. I thought that that loss to um, UNCG was really going to send them into a tailspin with a three-game road trip. It did not. And Wofford um, was a team that, again, was back at full strength with Sam Godwin, and he was efficient, effective. I think they're finally running out Wofford, that lineup that they'd like to put forth on a game-by-game basis. Um, Now they can bring Godwin off the bench, and it's a strong squad. There's no question. They're not going to beat themselves. You have to beat them, and and BMI definitely did. Uh, For Furman and, speaking of Wofford, Bothwell. Your guy, Mike Bothwell, 32 against DTSU, you'll remember. One for nine. In in his own building, does this in his own building. One for nine. The Paladins have uh, scored 75 or under each of their last four games after being below 75 just twice in their first 13. When shooting below 50%, they're now 0-6 after being 11-0, or being 11-0, I should say, when they're at 50 or above. In the last four, they've shot a combined 100 and 31 threes, 39 or more twice, 40 versus Wofford, 12 of 40. A, are they getting a bit carried away, just living and dying by the three? And B, I think we're seeing it with Furman and the Citadel a bit. When you do just predicate yourself on shooting the basketball, unless you are an upper echelon elite team across all of college basketball, not just the Southern Conference, but an elite all-time shooting team in the SOCON or a very good shooting team across all of the nation, depending on what you're comparing a squad to, uh, you're not going to be able to do that all year. Are we seeing the Citadel and Furman come back to earth the way we thought we might because they are simply predicated on shooting the ball? They don't have other dimensions they can go to. Well, you know, percentages play out. Were they going to shoot 50% for the whole season? Probably not. Agreed. And so I think some of that. So they also have been traditionally streaky from there. And so I kind of feel like, you know, Right now, it's kind of evened out in what it's going to be. Can they crank it back up? I think they certainly can. Um, I think it is odd that they've, because they're so heavy on the top five, if one of the five doesn't produce, you know, they were able to overcome the Noah Gurley uh, versus ETSU in the first matchup. Of course, Bucks didn't have Ladarius Brewer, so maybe that worked itself out as far as scoring goes. But then at VMI, right, they weren't able to, to work around not having Clay Mounts play well. Now, all of a sudden, they lose to Wofford with Mike Bothwell not playing well. So, And, and then the second Furman game, right, wasn't it um, – uh, uh, oh, gosh. Um, guy was coming off a career high, foul brewer at the end. Why am I drawing a blank? Foul brewer at the end of what game? Uh, the ETSU's game on the dunk. That uh, The end one gets you some. Um, oh, uh, Slauson? So, Slauson's coming off like an 18-16 game. And then scores, what, two points or doesn't even score against ETS? Like, they just take turns taking a break. And that's just four examples off the top of my head without anything in front of me that that's four games where their starters have just drawn nothing. And they were able to win one because one team was missing the guy, but they've lost those other three. And so they just, 
struggle from the bench if they don't have, you know, everybody kind of clicking at the same time. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, they have a pretty good matchup, speaking of matchups, I think, with UNCG tonight. Um, Who you got? That's where I was going next because UNCG's won seven So there's a perfect lead in? I'm actually going to go Furman tonight and then Wednesday UNCG. They're going to split. Furman tonight, UNCG wins. I don't know who's going to win which one, but they're definitely going to split. It seems, going back to Furman, that they're just kind of struggling to find the right combination off the bench because you've got Keen, right, and he's been pretty forgettable lately, especially. You know, he had eight points against Wofford, four for four from the floor. That was his first good game in quite some time. He went 3-2-4-2 in terms of points, starting with the ETSU game. Just wasn't out there a lot, though. And then you've got Marcus Foster. He's been shut out in the last two games that he's appeared in, but he was – uh, out for a couple of weeks while um, Furman, you know, again, has kind of tried to work through what they have off the bench. Joe Anderson actually started the other day. His last uh, seven games, 0-3-2-3-0-2-2. Good. I mean, they Hope he have, starts more. They have no punch whatsoever. Uh, Colin Kenny, 0-0-3 uh, zero, zero, in his can, last three. Can I say this? And, 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 and I don't know if this is a hot take at all, but I think the guy that's going to be missed the most in the league for their team is not going to be Isaiah Miller from UNCG. I don't think it's going to be Storm Murphy um, from Wofford. I think it is going to be Alex Hunter from Furman. Wow. Alex Hunter, right now, if you go to his career stats, he's probably still 3-1 to one assist to turnover ratio. Over 300-plus assists, barely over 100 turnovers. You look at everything that he brings to the table. He's a steady hand. And I just feel like, and because I've seen some of the – Yes, UNCG, obviously you're going to miss a guy like Isaiah Miller, but they've got key pieces that can step up and do certain things. Certainly Storm Murphy is having a year, but we've seen now for the third straight year they're going to lose a stud, right? They lost Fletcher McGee, you know, they're fine. Nathan Hoover, fine. Lose Storm Murphy, fine. They've got – they have a nice – Wofford out of any other team recruits to – if they need a 6'2 guy that only does this specific thing – they find them, they bring them in, and they teach them. And in two years of sitting there doing nothing, they know what they're supposed to do. To be do. fair, though, Furman's lost Rafferty, then Lyons. And so oh. they're kind of in the same ballpark in terms of losing the top uh, guy. Right. And true. And they always seem to have a good t- uh, starting five, though. They right? do. They always seem always. to have a good starting five. You know, I think the biggest thing, though, is looking at right now, if you go Jalen Pugh. Or Joe Anderson, right? If it's one of those two guys, I'm not seeing it. Now, those guys haven't been given a proper chance yet. So I could be shocked because the one thing I will agree with you is that Furman tends to find the next guy, right? And they get the five starters going. They get them in rhythm. They get them 35 minutes a game. And maybe if one of those guys gets 30 minutes a game, 35 minutes a game, it changes the dynamics of them. I just don't know that there's been a guy in the league the last 10, 20 years that has the assist-to-turnover ratio that Alex Hunter has had. And so that's why I think for his team, he's going to be the most missed guy in the league next year. I think that is hot, but it's also it also makes sense. You know, I'm not sure if how we would quantify it, if we would quantify it, uh, but certainly guys like Alex Hunter are often overlooked. Going back to Jalen Pugh, talking with Bob Ritchie, on the phone before ETSU Furman back in January 23rd, he was really excited to have Jalen Pugh back, and then Pugh played two minutes against ETSU and hasn't played since. I don't know if he re-injured himself. Yeah, I know he had a, it was a, a wrist, um, a 
uh, wrist or hand injury, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, and he at missed, Alabama, right? Yeah, he missed all, over a month, as a matter of fact. And yeah, then played he broke both it. ETSU games, but didn't score in two minutes. And then in between, VMI had eight points and nine minutes. And you're like, oh, okay, well, he's back a little bit, right? Eight points and nine minutes. I mean, that's pretty impressive. And I know you thought he was an upgrade over Joe Anderson. And then, of course, Anderson gets that start um, the other day. And, and, you know, he's not really producing a whole lot, so he's back on the bench. And I think he got the start over Jalen Slauson, as a matter of fact. Slauson came off the bench that day. Um, but there just isn't the depth there for whatever reason. Whatever reason pews out, we don't know, of course. Forgive the ignorance. Haven't talked about Rich in a while, so not sure. But he was excited, and now it's been two weeks without him. And then Kenny hasn't given you much. Anderson hasn't given you much. Foster hasn't given you much. Heen has a little bit here and there, but five points a game and really quiet recently until the last game when he had eight points on four of four from the field. So it is a very apt breakdown of the situation from you. If one starter, I'm not saying that they have to just perform below average, but if one starter lays an egg and doesn't do anything at all, and you've seen it with Bothwell and Mount and at different points throughout the season, pretty much all of um, Jalen Slauson, you mentioned, all the five starters, if that happens, then they've set themselves back, and there's no backup plan. There is no parachute to be able to pull and say, all right, Garrett Heen, get in there. I know you're going to be good for 12 or 14 today because we need you to be. You can't count on that. So it's a very good point. And, and, and I do think, and I will say this, I think Heen will probably start for Mounts, and next year we'll be like, man, that Garrett Heen got you saw more time last year. Like, points game, like I, feel like, I, I, I really feel that way. But just looking at the overall numbers in 17 games this year, Alex Hunter, 65 assists, 22 turnovers. That's a 3.8 plus Assist to turnover. I mean, just looking at all these numbers, and uh, you know, he's a three. He's a plus three for his career. You just don't get that the way he takes care of the basketball, the way he gets the guys in the right situation. You know, and Isaiah Miller right there at one point two. The next guy I think is Jeff uh, uh, Jeff Gary. He's got a, t- a plus two point six. Moffs at two. Keyshawn Langley's at one nine. Ryan Larson's at 1-6, Greg Parham's at 1-6, but sitting up here at three all alone for the fourth consecutive. I think his first three years, he has led the league in assist-to-turnover ratio and could do it for all four seasons. And so, I, you know, that doesn't mean still Bob Rich can't go find a point guard and they step right into there. Just looking on rosters right now for their team only, and I'm quantifying that, for their team only, I think he could be the biggest loss in the Southern Conference. The thing that would make the least sense over these next two game days would be Furman taking both from UNCG. I think UNCG, uh, though for me, uh, is least likely to sweep that series because it would make the least sense for Furman to sweep it with UNCG red hot. But this conference is so up and down and topsy-turvy that I think that Furman is more likely to sweep than UNCG is to sweep. Another big game Wednesday, Chattanooga at Wofford. Any chance in your mind the Mocs can continue their post-quarantine win streak with the Terriers back at full strength? Uh, yes. Really? Uh, yes, I do. Do you really? I do. Okay. So, that again, that would not make a lot of sense, right, because Wofford is coming off a big victory in Chattanooga. Everyone marked him off as dead once they were undefeated in the non-conference, and then David Jean Baptiste was out of the starting lineup back in, and then they lost a couple of games, and everyone wrote him off, and now you're saying Chattanooga is back. Well, I, no, I, yes, of course I am, because they're the greatest team <laughs> ever assembled. But I, I think the one thing that Chattanooga does do a good job in that ETSU did very well against was when, how they defend when they throw the ball inside and how they do. I'll be kind of curious to see because – when Godwin's in there, it's a little bit of size. But when Messiah Jones is in there, there's not. I mean, it's not a huge. And Godwin's not a. And although Wofford is physical overall as a team, that is not a physical post team that like 
can shove you out of the middle of the paint. It is more of a guard you, um, bump the cutter, really get in the lanes, really make it hard to make passes and really guard the ball well when you're trying to make a pass. But I think, again, I think Chattanooga, if they can get the ball inside, just need a couple of fouls to go their way, which they've gotten in almost every game at ETSU, and I think they could take advantage of that. So that's the reason why I think Chad has a shot in the game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have reportedly agreed to terms with free agent wide receiver Antonio Brown. The Warriors' Clay Thompson is out for the season again. This time it's a torn Achilles. Did you have pizza rolls yesterday when you finally got home? I did not. I did. Did I dip them in honey mustard? Yes, I did. Oh, yeah. That yeah, I did. Blast me. Okay. Yeah, I did. Anybody listening that would love to chime in on this, is it semi-psychopathic to cook your pizza rolls to the point that they explode out the side and you lose half the topping? Because and then, Chase Yannos and Kevin Brown both. And then you take the forks. That's the best part. So after you get sort of dug out, then I get all the fork and just. Why do you not oh, just yeah. cook them until oh. they're golden brown on each side, so not exploded, and then crispy. you don't have to go and do the extra work to scoop scoop it up I don't, I don't with the fork? I don't Listen, you eat you your way. You're out of your mind. You eat your way. You let you let chubby guy over here eat his way. I was gonna say you would be the bigger expert on food here, but I just cannot stand seeing this. It is just I need some pizza. I can't stand. I need the cooked. Overcooked outside, they are pizza overcooked. roll, as long as hot you pocket, whatever it is. I need that wontons. I mean, whatever. It's, uh, okay. Exploding out the side. Mm-hmm. We just did Super Bowl props, and your boy is brilliant. <laughs> Tampa. Thank you. I won more. The anthem is the reason. So apparently, and I didn't see it, right, because I was driving back from Furman. From it was disgustingly over. <laughs> disgustingly You basically over. made it sound like I even tried when they got to, to the word see. Like, I was saying, can you see? There was 45 seconds already I mean, gone. Uh, let's just say that my wife's asking me why, why I'm standing up, uh, as I always do at my house in full attention. But yet, in my left hand, as I am <laughs> saluting, I do have the timer going. <laughs> and she's looking at me like, what are you doing? I was like, me and Mike have a, a bold prediction going on this. And she was like, you bet on I said, we didn't bet. I said, we just do like where yeah, we yeah. predict whatever. Yeah. And she's like, oh, okay. She said, what's the time? I said, one, 159. 159 or whatever it was. And so as it's getting towards the end, I'm like trying to hit a little pause or whatever. She's like, you do whatever you want. It's going over. Like she's just crying. She's like, there's no way. Like this is over. Like just put the phone down. So and it was see, over. Did you see the guy on Twitter that leaked the entire thing? Now, this was after we made our bold prediction. But I think I saw the tweet Saturday. He was standing maybe like 500 yards from, is it still Raymond James Stadium? What is it called now? I think it still is Raymond If it's Raymond James still. He was like 500 yards from it, was holding up his phone with a timer, and they were rehearsing the anthem, and it was like 218. So he Mm. leaks it, and apparently it was well over. That would have been 20 seconds over. If it was about 20 seconds, then that guy 
clued in everyone and really, uh, I'm sure, made the wise guys uh, rather upset. We both got, uh, let's see, one, uh, the nostrils. We both said Bruce Arians' yeah. nostrils would that appear Bruce. Uh, sooner than um, Andy Reid's, and they did. Uh, so we each got that. Neither of us got the over-under. Uh, we said above 56. Over-under is 56. 40 points. Kansas City just didn't show up. Uh, Tampa Bay wins by three. Tampa Bay wins by four. You said by four. I said by three. Did it win by 34 and we got it right? They won it by, felt like that. It won by 22. It did feel like 34 without a doubt. Kansas City never got rolling. Patrick Mahomes, probably the worst game of his career. MVP, if it wasn't Brady or Mahomes, which, of course, it ended up being Brady because it was always going to be Brady if Tampa Bay won. I said Mike Evans, who had, I think, one catch for 31 yards. You said Antonio Brown because that's fun. I think he had, like, five catches. He had a touchdown. 46 yards and a touchdown. Maybe he had a touchdown. So, clearly, I won that. That's a win for me. Touchdown. Uh, Touchdown. You got one catch. I said a Tampa Bay touchdown as the first score of the game. It was not Tampa Bay field goal for you. It was not. It was a Kansas City field goal. Technically, the first Tampa Bay score was a touchdown. Rob Gronkowski coming out of the backfield, sprinting left over that left pylon. He's in, and Tampa Bay is up 7-3, to but neither of us got that either. Uh, We both went... Off the beaten path for the mask that Andy Reid would wear. The odds-on heavy favorite was a Chiefs-branded mask. I said it would be Hawaiian. You said single color. It was Chiefs-branded. We didn't get that. Bruce Arians' hat. Now, specifically, we said his cabbie hat. What color would it be? He wore the ball cap. I, 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 yes. What is he doing? Here, I think, I honestly, I think they, uh, my guess is NFL gave him the, you're, you you're, you're, you're wearing this hat. So, unfortunately, there's a no play. Bruce Arians looks a lot like Steve Forbes, doesn't he? Yes. Uh, uh, we've told him that before. Uh, he, well, at least one of them for change. <laughs> hope Steve doesn't listen to the podcast. Ooh, coming in hot. I'm kidding. Coming I'm kidding. Well, hey, well, I'll tell you, Steve is a champion. Because when I was going to say, I, I, he won a couple of them, but okay. Yeah, no, he's, uh, he's exceptional. Ooh. So He's exceptional, so is Arians. Uh, Steve Forbes does not wear a hat. Uh, Bruce Arians does. Um, and his was white, and I said it would be white, but it was not the cabbie hat, so technically we're going to give that one to me anyway. Fantastic. You said it would be great. Uh, I did not say what that. Liquid, did not what say liquid would it be poured on the game-winning uh, coach? I said none. You said orange. It was blue, so we didn't get that either. So uh, I think that we look at it now, and I've got one, two, three, plus maybe the half. i got three in the hook, and you've got two. <laughs> So three and a hook, and so you got look, two. Only if Towns is back on the show. He's not. Three so. and a hook, you got two. So now I'm up uh, eight and a half to six. I am suddenly very far ahead in bowl predictions. It feels good. Not in some animals we've learned. Maybe I'll be a champion like Bruce Arians and Steve Forbes soon in bowl predictions because right now I've lost a year, have tied a year with you, and I'm still looking for my first victory. It would make perfect sense if we were 1-1-1 one, one, and one after three years, wouldn't it? Would we retire it because we're well so bad? Way. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Come up with a different segment. So guess what? We do have a Wednesday broadcast, ETSU on the road, Chattanooga, 7 o'clock, tip, 6.30 airtime, Thursday, 7 o'clock, tip, 6.30 airtime for women's basketball versus Mercer. Doubleheader day, noon Saturday, 4 p.m. It's noon for the women, it's 4 p.m. for the men, both home games, we'll have that for you as well. Of course, we'll preview that, and we'll talk about Wednesday and Thursday's games coming up on Friday, and then we'll give you even more bad, bold predictions on Sandos and the Sidekick right here on the Buccaneer. Sports Network.